Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In the past week, there have been a couple of interesting developments. One has been the acknowledgement by the SEC of an application for a Bitcoin ETF, which officially kicks off the timeline for them to either issue an approval or a denial. And that timeline is not 100% in stone because if clarifications are requested along the way, that could extend the timeline and things like that. But it does tentatively place a timeline on the approval or denial of the first U.S. Bitcoin ETF at late May of 2024. So that's an interesting time frame and just to kind of have in perspective, the Bitcoin halving is also coming at around that time. And uh, yeah, I think that's just a very interesting development to follow. And another thing this week that I think is worth mentioning, there was a documentary that came out. I'm not sure if it came out this week or if I just happened to come across it this week, but it was a docu documentary about the company BlackRock and its origins and how they are essentially taking over the world and what their goals are. And yeah, it kind of goes in a bit of a sinister direction in the sense of it makes you really wonder, will it be a good thing or a bad thing for the world at large, or for Bitcoin in particular, if BlackRock is approved a Bitcoin ETF eventually? This is an interesting question, especially in light of the observation that BlackRock has put into their fine print the option to choose, in the case of a hard fork, which fork is for their purposes, the true Bitcoin that would be honored for all of the assets that they have under management. And so that, you know, and considering how large they are, that is a very interesting situation. And it could lead to a split in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And in particular, I mean, I, this is just hypothetical, and I'm just kind of exploring a thought scenario here. But it would be very interesting if a hard fork did take place, and if BlackRock did choose the fork that was in opposition to the Bitcoin ethos and values that we as Bitcoiners know and love and which we talk about in this podcast as being, in essence, the principles that Jesus Christ disseminated as he spoke about the kingdom of heaven. So if Bitcoin forks and BlackRock chooses the wrong fork, that would create an irreconcilable difference 
between the fiat world's version of Bitcoin and the true version of Bitcoin that upholds the original values of freedom and decentralization and these sorts of things. And that would be a highly interesting scenario that would require people to make a clear decision on which way they go, which system they support, and then that in turn would set the stage for a great competition to see which system would ultimately bear good fruits in the end, however you measure that whether in terms of prosperity or whether you, whether in terms of societal development or by any other measure. And so this is all completely hypothetical and it's up to time to decide whether there will even be an opportunity to see this play out. But I think it's highly interesting to contemplate these things and actually important to contemplate these things because whenever a big, decisive, dividing decision is looming. It's always good to consider the things in advance and to be established in your understanding of the ramifications so that you can make a wise decision and be prepared to make that decision when it is needed without being caught off guard. So, therefore, we're keeping an eye on what BlackRock is doing and what the SEC is doing in regards to the Bitcoin ETFs. And it will be interesting to see how that ultimately plays out in the spring of next year. The clock has officially begun ticking on the Bitcoin ETF. Okay, so another interesting bit of news that I think is perhaps misunderstood, perhaps, is that recently Costco, a large wholesaler in the United States, has begun selling gold. And the interesting thing about this, well, I mean, it shows several interesting things, I think. But one thing is that people who are purchasing gold are generally doing so because they are preparing for some kind of a catastrophe, either a financial collapse, and they're wanting to hedge their assets with gold, because the value of the dollar, for example, could collapse. Or it could be to hedge in cases of war or other circumstances of great unpredictability that could also wipe out uh, financial resources. So what is really going on that is creating such a market for gold? That's one interesting aspect to this. And the, the other interesting aspect is simply that Costco is a huge outfit. And for them to be selling gold in large quantities like that really makes you wonder, how are they able to do that? Where are they getting the gold from? Why is it that it's easy or convenient for them to sell that gold now? Is gold really that valuable? as a hedge right now, if Costco is so freely getting rid of it. This is 
perhaps the more interesting question to me, because in today's world, as currencies are, new types of currencies are being developed and CBDCs in particular are coming on the scene, it's questionable in my mind whether the governments of the world are going to continue to value gold the same way they have in the past. And this could be a sign that gold is not really worth as much as it was historically. And being that it's being sold at Costco in large quantities like that really makes me wonder if this is yet another way that the powers that be are sort of foisting a product on the general public that ultimately is going to leave them rug pulled when the value of gold drops. And, you know, the thing about gold is, especially in comparison to Bitcoin, you know, people say gold has intrinsic value and therefore it's good to have gold because in the worst case, you can make jewelry out of it and people will value that. But in the scheme of things, when people are hungry and people need shelter, I question whether that so-called intrinsic value of gold is really worth what people have traditionally esteemed it to be worth. You can't eat gold and you can't shelter yourself under a gold roof. So in the end, if things get really bad, I'm not sure how valuable and resellable gold will be in the future. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is a different sort of thing that is traditionally recognized as having no intrinsic value, which is often cited as a disadvantage. But we're going to talk about that in today's episode, and that's partly why I think this move by Costco to sell gold is perhaps interesting at this time because it gives a point of comparison between gold and Bitcoin on this particular question of intrinsic value. And we're going to see what the Bible and what Jesus himself actually has to say about that. So it's going to be an interesting episode, I think, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We're going to continue where we left off in the book of Matthew, and last time we covered chapter 7, and we're going to continue right into chapter 8 in this episode. And I looked a little bit at this at the beginning just to see what the topic was, and I'm not sure where it's going to lead by the end of the chapter, but we shall see. Now, the chapter begins, chapter 8, verse 1, begins with Jesus coming down the mountain. It says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, I love reading how Jesus responds to the people, because the way that this leper approached him is, is interesting. And they were careful to record the manner in which he asked the Lord for healing, because it has significance. He asked him, he said, Lord, if thou wilt, in other words, if you want, you can make me clean. So it's like he came to the Lord and said, Lord, if you want, you can heal me if you want, <laughs> you know, and 
You know, Jesus was no respecter of persons. And sometimes we misunderstand what that means. We think that means he treated everyone the same. And in a certain sense, yes, he treated everyone irrespective of who they were. So he treated them the same. But on the other hand, that actually doesn't mean that he treated them the same. It means that he treated everyone different according to who they were and how they presented. And so here we see that very clearly in verse 3. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. Now, in the Old English, if thou wilt meant if you want, and I will meant I want to. So the man asked, or rather said, if you want, you can heal me, if you want. (laughs) And the Lord answered by saying, yeah, I want to be healed, be clean. And so Jesus answered the man exactly in the same manner that he presented. And this is just one example of the many times that the Bible records that he did that. He answered the people according to their own thinking and according to their own way that they approached him. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us on what it means to be no respecter of persons. It doesn't mean always acting the same way. It means responding to people according to how they are and what their need is. And that requires a certain sensitivity, a certain capacity to observe others and recognize how they are presenting themselves and what their position and need really is. And Jesus was certainly an expert at that. He met people where they were at. Now, in the context of financial things, in the first episode that really kind of introduced this theme of Jesus speaking about the kingdom of heaven, uh, which was actually episode number seven of this podcast, it was the episode that spoke about John the Baptist and Jesus in the context of the announcement of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And in that episode, we really laid an important foundation for understanding how Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and how his work of healing was intrinsic to his explanation of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. The coming of the kingdom was connected to the healing of the people. And we're about to see that right here in this passage in a very special way. But to really understand it in full, I would encourage you to go back to that episode if you haven't heard it yet and really get the setting of how John the Baptist and then Jesus introduced the kingdom of heaven to the people of that day. The people who were expecting the overthrow of the Roman Empire and the reestablishment of the kingdom of Israel, which was the kingdom of God, on earth. And we are in a very similar situation here at the present time. And we see how in the world, and especially in the context of the Western order of things with the United States as the monetary powerhouse and military powerhouse that dominates the world, similarly to how the Roman Empire dominated the world in the past. We see that today in our own context of things, and we are in expectation of an overthrow of that order. And how that will come about 
is a matter of differing opinion whether you know the eastern bloc china and russia and whether they will band together and make war or overthrow the western powers in some form be it financial or military or whether out of this conflict of nations the whole world will come to an end and in a fiery conflagration and Jesus Christ will return. How exactly that plays out is a matter of differing opinion. But the common thing is that the whole world is in expectation of something, just as they were in the time of Christ. The whole world, especially in the nation of Israel, was in expectation of the coming of the Savior, which in their mindset, they expected to be in the form of an overthrow of the Roman Empire and of the monetary system of Rome that enabled and sort of underpinned the whole empire. And therefore, the tax collectors and, you know, these these topics of financial matters were so important in that day to the point that uh, they're recorded in the Bible on many occasions. Money is a huge theme in the New Testament. And so let's go on now with these verses and see how that factors into this particular story. In verse 4, well, just to recap verse 3, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So immediately this man was cleansed. And uh, we also talked about this in the introductory episode, that the healing meant that, that the people could work. They could earn a living again. Because the worst effect of illness at that point in time for the common person was that they could no longer work. They could no longer earn an income and sustain their family. That was the curse of illness at that time. And this particular illness of leprosy also meant that they were cast out from society. And so they had sort of a double disadvantage there. They could not work and they could not have contact with society. So it meant poverty to the extreme. And when Jesus healed this man and healed any man, it was a restoration of life, not just a healing to the body, but a healing to the entire life, to the lifestyle, to the to the living of that person, their ability to earn wages, their ability to buy and sell and interact with society and participate in economy again. So even the aspect of healing, which does not seem to have a monetary basis, was intrinsically connected to one's socioeconomic standing in the world at that time. And verse 4, And Jesus saith unto him, See, thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now here we have the connection directly to the Jewish economy, because in the Jewish economy, the sacrifices were the way that the people brought their wealth to the sanctuary, to the house of God. 
and the prosperity of the nation was reflected in the prosperity of the temple. And in whatever form they brought their gifts, their tithes, their offerings, whatever it was in whatever form, whether in the form of animals or in the form of food or in the form of actual money, gold or silver, these tithes and offerings were then collected at the sanctuary and used in the service of God. And this was kind of like the tax of the nation because the priests at the temple were also the ones who served as judges and as teachers and basically led the nation, teaching the people about the things of God and ultimately having a huge role in the management of the finances of the nation because of all of the money that flowed to and through the temple. So we tend to think of the ancient Israel as a spiritual kingdom, but it was also very practical and very financially oriented. Economy is at the heart of every kingdom, and Israel was no exception. The difference with Israel was that it was a nation under God. It was the kingdom of God on earth, or at least that was the intention. And again, we have something very similar to that today, where we have a nation, the United States, that began as a nation under God. It began as a haven of freedom. It began as a place where the money could be trusted and where there was this idea of making money by introducing value to products and to society through the things that were made. And this was a new paradigm, this uh, paradigm of capitalism, at least to a certain degree. And it thrived over the years so long as the nation remained under God. But in recent years, the principles of the kingdom of God have been abandoned and that can be seen on many different fronts, both on the financial front and on the moral front, in the most obvious of terms. And this, of course, just to, just to emphasize that point, when money is printed at the cost of the average citizen and then redistributed, that's a form of theft, which is directly contrary to the law of God. That's not, you know, when you read on the dollar bill, in God we trust... That's not expressing trust in God when you print the money into oblivion or you print it and then, and then redistribute it to others so that the, the people become poor. That's not trusting, that's not a government that's trusting in God. And if you trust in the dollar, that's also not trusting in God. That's trusting in this government that doesn't trust in God. So on the financial front, the United States and every other nation has gone completely contrary to the principles of the kingdom of God in the financial way. And needless to say, in aspects of morality and other things, they have also turned away from God. And so what we have here in verse 4, Jesus is reaffirming the manner in which the kingdom of God was intended to work. Jesus said unto him, See that thou tell no man. In other words, first thing, before you go tell anybody, first thing, go show yourself to the priest, offer the gift that Moses commanded. Go pay your taxes, so to speak. 
give your thank offering to the Lord for being healed, okay? For being able to work again, for being able to rejoin society again. Go. First, give to God the acknowledgement and the praise due to Him for your healing, for a testimony unto them, as Moses commanded. In other words, according to the law. So, And then, of course, the healed one after that, after having given this gift at the sanctuary and in so doing given a testimony to the rulers of the healing power of God, then they were free to go and to uh, rejoin society, rejoin the workforce, and go on to become a valuable contributor to society. And that's very much how... The system of Bitcoin, I believe, is intended by God to work. It should re-enable people to join the workforce who previously weren't able to because of the diseases of the fiat system, whether it's because, for example, in the fiat system, you have to have certain privileges to be able to do very much in the way of business. Either you've got to have a job, a traditional kind of job, Okay, or you have to have the privilege of a bank account and you have to have the privilege of enough money and you have to have the privilege of uh, being able to buy insurance for the things that you're doing in regards to business. And so to be able to conduct any kind of business other than just working a traditional job, there are so many hurdles and so many roadblocks that the system does not favor the poor. It penalizes the poor and favors the rich. And so in that way, people have become poor. And in many third world countries, it's actually, you know, people seem to be poor, but they actually have some more opportunities than in the first world countries, because they can do, you know, cash businesses kind of on the side, little home businesses and things like that. They can grow plants at home and then sell them. They can grow food or prepare food at home and sell it. And there aren't so many legal restrictions on, oh, you can't cook any food at home because that's homemade is is a bad word that, you know, you've got to do it in a commercial kitchen so that it's sanitary and everything, you know. And the regulations are well meant in the first world, or at least we would like to think they are well meant. But in the end effect, they make it where it's almost impossible to do business in any practical way on a small scale. And that's not how God intended things. That's not how his kingdom works. His kingdom should be equally accessible to the small as well as to the great. And so we can really see a parallel here with the emergence of Bitcoin that enables people to do transactions even in very small amounts through the Lightning Network and on a peer-to-peer basis so that uh, it works like a cash economy without undue interference from government upon small operations, home businesses, and things like that. And so in many ways, it comes as the Savior came 2,000 years ago to offer hope to the people, to the common people who were in expectation and in dire need of deliverance from, in their case, the Roman Empire and its oppression. And in our case today, from the sort of Western 
power structure that has gotten out of control, out of the control of we the people, so to speak. All right, so let's go on now to verse 5, changing the scene slightly. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. So here again, Jesus answered him exactly as he approached him. He said, I'm here with you right now, but at home, I've got a servant that's sick. So Jesus said unto him, oh, no, no problem. I'll come to your home and heal him. See, he answered him in the same way as he approached him. But the centurion then realized what he had asked and corrected himself. And he said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, not from Israel, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven. So here is the mention, the key verse that mentions the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus connected that with people coming from the east and the west, coming from far away, not coming from Israel, coming from far away from other nations, but sitting down with the fathers of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven. So, so Jesus himself compares the kingdom of heaven with an earthly kingdom right here in these verses. It was not entirely a misunderstanding. You know, a lot of times we say, oh, you know, the people in the time of Jesus, they just didn't get it. They were looking for an earthly kingdom and Jesus came to bring them a heavenly kingdom. And we kind of say, oh, how crazy they are, you know, and then we, we, we expect Jesus to come uh, in the sky, you know, in the clouds and literally take us to a spiritual heavenly kingdom. And we think we're so better than them that, we, you know, we got it now. Now we understand that, you know, the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom of the earth. But the fact is, Jesus himself linked the kingdom of heaven with the earthly circumstances. And this man, this centurion, okay, he was a centurion. That means he worked for the military of Rome, okay? He, he was not an Israelite, okay? He was one of those from the east and the west, from far away from another nation, who Jesus said would sit down in the kingdom of heaven. And literally, you know, Jesus healed his servant. And so this man, this centurion, who was not an Israelite, received of the blessing of Jesus Christ, of the benefit of the kingdom of heaven here in this world at that time because of his faith, such a faith that he, he even understood and, and believed that the healing didn't need Jesus's physical presence. And his humility can be seen in that he thought the honor of Jesus coming into his own home was too great, something that Jesus was even willing to do he didn't shun him as some others in the Jewish nation would have. 
But no, he said, I will come and heal your son. But the centurion was humble enough to say, no, 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 that, that's too much. Just, just say the word. That, that's all that's needed. So very interesting verses. And I think very interesting how Jesus connects this situation to the kingdom of heaven and how Jesus says that many that are not from Israel, <laughs> many who the kingdom was destined for, will not enter Many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But, verse 12, the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So those to whom the kingdom pertained would not enter in. They would be cast out and they would be left in the outer darkness. Wow, that is an amazing statement, and it's one that we can see in hindsight very well. The Jews, by and large, rejected Christ to this day. There are some that have accepted Messianic Jews and so forth, but for the most part, the Jews have rejected Christ, and they are outside the kingdom of heaven in that spiritual sense. But when we look at this in the financial sense, as it would apply today, and we look at if Bitcoin is the money of the kingdom of God, how many are entering into the kingdom of God in the form of Bitcoin today? Well, first of all, a couple of interesting things can be noted. They are entering from the east and the west, from far away, from everywhere around the globe, but generally not so much in the United States and not so much among Christians. In other words, the ones Christians who the kingdom of heaven pertains especially to, they, by and large, are not accepting Bitcoin. That's why I'm doing this podcast in a large part, is to encourage Christians by showing them how Bitcoin, in its very principles, is the money of the kingdom of God. It's the it follows the principles of God's kingdom, and it is the way that people can, through their financial resources, actually support the kingdom of heaven and partake in the kingdom of heaven. It's, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to show in this podcast. And yet, by and large, as far as I can see, which isn't very far, admittedly, it seems that most Christians are shunning Bitcoin as, oh, that could be something like the mark of the beast or whatever, and or a world currency or something like that. And instead, they sort of unknowingly go like sheep to the slaughter in following the fiat system in all of its various forms, whether that be investing in gold, which is ultimately under the control of central powers, it's the same fiat system controlling gold or silver or any, you know, basically anything else. And the only thing that's outside of that system, outside of the Roman system, so to speak, is this thing called Bitcoin. And in other episodes, I talk about the mark of the beast and how Revelation describes the financial situation and what really is that world currency that in Revelation 13 becomes a problem for the people of God. And so check that out. Uh, I mean, basically, it's the 
fiat systems that, that are being transformed into CBDCs or their equivalent, whatever name they go by, that will ultimately bring the world into bondage. And Bitcoin is the answer to that. It's the counterattack of God to provide a way for his people to opt out of the Babylonian system and follow instead the principles of his kingdom to take their stand with the kingdom of heaven. And so what we're seeing, if as we hypothesize in this podcast that Bitcoin is the money of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, then what we're seeing is that people that are unbelievers, like this centurion who was not a Jew, people from all over the world that are not Christians are opting into Bitcoin. They're finding healing for the oppression of the Romans through this system of Bitcoin. They're coming from the East and the West, from all over the world, to participate in Bitcoin, where those who sort of have it at their fingertips, you know, largely Christians in the United States, are not taking advantage of it. They're not joining this effort. And to the degree that they hold on to fiat wealth, they will ultimately find themselves outside the kingdom. You know, we talked at the very beginning of how a split could happen that would ultimately draw a dividing line that does not allow conversion in and out of Bitcoin as it is more or less possible today. And so I think this is all very interesting. And Christians need to really pay attention and take note of what God is doing in the world through Bitcoin and, you know, get on board and join the effort if they don't ultimately want to find themselves outside the kingdom. So let's just continue now. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. So in other words, he believed that Jesus could heal his servant without actually coming to his house. And because he believed, Jesus said, let it be according to your belief. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now, that is very interesting to think about in connection with Bitcoin as well. Because, and this is where we come to this topic of intrinsic value. Because for the centurion to reap the benefits of the kingdom of God on earth, he had only to believe, okay? There was not any substance there. There was not a sign. There was not a proof. There was not a token that would give him the assurance that his son would be healed. He simply believed. And that's like how the money of the kingdom of God, Bitcoin, does not have intrinsic value. It's just numbers in a distributed ledger, right? There's no actual value. You can't go and take a Bitcoin and hold it in your hand and do something with it. You can't reshape it into jewelry, for example, like you can with actual gold. So it has no intrinsic value. And I actually don't like that term, intrinsic value. I don't like to say that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value because it I think it does have intrinsic value. As a monetary system, it is valuable. And that is intrinsic value, in my opinion. But I would rather say that Bitcoin doesn't have any physical value. There's no 
physical material associated with it to give it any physical value. And that's what makes Bitcoin a spiritual, purely spiritual money. Every other kind of money has a physical component to it. It has, you know, gold is obviously a physical metal. You know, paper money is is obviously physical paper, but it, it's also it's at least supposed to represent, you know, physical value. And so, in all of history, the only kind of value the human race has known is physical value. But we're at a point in time where things are turning spiritual. And we're going to get into that as we continue with these verses. But I just wanted to kind of point that out, that that's the key difference between Bitcoin and gold and silver and even real estate and other kinds of potential hedges against inflation. Those are all physical things. And we've talked in previous episodes about, you know, Jesus's remark about that no man can have two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. Now, God is spiritual. You can't see him or touch him. He doesn't have a physical component in our world. But mammon refers to wealth in the physical sense, especially in the physical sense, the worldly things of wealth. And so this difference between spiritual versus physical is very important. And that is the key difference that distinguishes Bitcoin from other types of money, is that it is not connected to physical matter. It's pure energy, as people like to say. So let's keep going here, because we're going to come into something very interesting in relation to that distinction between spiritual and physical. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. So she was laying down sick, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. So this is insightful in the sense that it shows what the purpose of healing was. We kind of talked about that a little bit at the beginning, that sickness was such a terrible thing in those days because it robbed a person of their ability to earn an income, to labor, to support their family. And here we see that in a very tangible way, all in the span of a few words here in this verse. The fever left her and she arose and ministered unto them. As soon as she was healed, she got up and worked. She served. She ministered. That was her work. And by being healed, she was enabled to immediately resume her work. When God heals a person, that is what he does, is he allows, he enables them to work, to serve, to provide services to society, to be a part of society and do something constructive for society. A brief verse, a brief description of the healing, but there's a lot of depth to what is recorded there. Verse 16, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, this is 
the interesting topic here because we're talking about people being possessed with devils. And the Bible speaks about this, especially in the New Testament, frequently. And yet, in the Old Testament, it wasn't so much a topic. And in today's day and age, it's much less so. You know, you don't hear about people being possessed with devils today, unless, of course, you're talking about horror films or, you know, something like that. But, and so, what is really meant here? What is going on? Well, the verse explains it itself. It says, And he cast out the spirits with his word. Okay, so the devils are also called spirits. And that's kind of the key, because what the word spirit actually means is, in the Bible, is the same word for breath or air. Okay, that's the word for spirit. And it's connected to devils or angels because of the fact that the angels fly in the air, you know, in, in heaven. And so, therefore, they are beings of the spirit, beings of the air. They are creatures of the air, kind of like birds. Therefore, birds also are a symbol for angels. And so, when you understand that connection, then you think about what does the word spirit mean today? And do we have people today with evil spirits? Do we have people today with a bad spirit? Yes, many times. Many people walk around and, and, and say in casual language, oh, you know, that guy had a bad spirit. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, he had a really good spirit. Or, I was in good spirits today. You know, it's just part of our language that the word spirit refers to these sort of intangible qualities, things that aren't material. It's not about how a person looks, per se. You don't say somebody has a good spirit because they're nicely dressed. You say they have a good spirit because of their demeanor, because of their attitude, because of their thinking, because of their conversing, their their ideas, the the way that they direct their thoughts and interact on an intellectual and social level. Those are the things of the spirit. They are the things of the mind as opposed to the things of the body. They are the things that you can't see as physical aspects. Those are the things of the spirit. And so if you look at the world through that lens, through that understanding, then you understand that there are a lot of people today who are possessed with a bad spirit, right? Who have a bad mindset, who have a wrong thinking, okay? That's, in essence, what being possessed with a bad spirit is. And of course, there are degrees to everything. There are some people that their thinking is so wrong and so twisted that they will go out and murder, for example. And in the time of Jesus, they would just say that was a person possessed by a devil. Well, it's just as true today, but we look at it differently. We look at it as a mental problem. We look at that person as being crazy, as being insane, as having a problem in the mind, which is this same concept of spirit. It's, it's the part that you cannot see. It's not a part of the physical body that you can observe. Even if you could open his head and look into his brain, perhaps even see the neural connections, you, can't, you still can't decipher why it is that this person thinks so wrongly. Okay, so that's what this word spirit encompasses. So do you see how when the Bible talks about people being possessed with devils, it's 
no different than what we see today when we're dealing with people who are mentally not in their right mind. They have wrong thinking in all of its degrees. Well, the good news is that Jesus came to heal those kinds of people then and now. And one of the ways that God is healing wrong thinking in the world today is through Bitcoin. Because most people, I mean, just by virtue of growing up in the world, we are taught to view money in the wrong way. We have a wrong thinking about money and about many, many other aspects of life. We have a wrong spirit, so to speak. We have a wrong thought process, a wrong attitude towards certain things. For example, we want to spend money today because tomorrow, you know, it might not be worth as much. That's a wrong attitude. It's a wrong way of thinking. It's a wrong spirit. And Bitcoin can help us to change that. Because when you save in Bitcoin, the value goes up. Tomorrow it's worth more than it was today, so to speak. So it's more valuable to save than to spend. And you end up saving. What are you saving? You're saving Bitcoin. You're saving something that doesn't have physical value. I don't want to say it doesn't have intrinsic value, but it doesn't have physical value. It's a spiritual money, not a physical money. And so you're investing in spiritual things when you invest in Bitcoin. When you hold Bitcoin, you're holding spiritual things, things of the air, things of the heaven, part of the heavenly kingdom. Whereas when you spend fiat money and you buy and buy and buy, when you know this consumerism, this is very worldly, very carnal. It's, it's very centered around physicalities in contrast to the things of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot hold Bitcoin and splurge on physical things at the same time. Okay, I mean, you can do both, but the point is either you will love the one and hate the other or, you know, vice versa. As Jesus said, either you will love to hodl or you will love to spend. Yeah, which is it? Which spirit do you have? So I think that's a very fascinating subject, and I hope that kind of helped clarify why Bitcoin is a spiritual money, and that the things of the spirit, the things of the mind, are also things that Jesus came to heal, and that Bitcoin can help heal today, and that the money that's in harmony with his kingdom, the money of his kingdom, Bitcoin, also sort of helps us to train our thinking differently, to have a different spirit, a spirit that's not so focused on material things, but that's focused on intangible things, the intangible things ultimately of the kingdom of heaven. And that's where I think Bitcoiners, maybe, you know, it says that Jesus said the people come from the east and the west to sit down in the kingdom of heaven. It can be that many Bitcoiners who don't seem very Christ-like on the outside, they might have the right mindset in the non-tangible sense, in the spiritual sense, much more than the Christians who are very materialistic. Okay, so that's just food for thought. And it's also food for thought for hodlers, Bitcoiners, who maybe haven't accepted Christ as their savior that what they are doing, what they are practicing through Bitcoin is actually what Christ taught. And that if they're honest with themselves, they should really accept Christ as their savior and give him the honor and the praise for the system of Bitcoin. And to recognize that, you know, just as 
Anyone could be Satoshi Nakamoto. Anyone could have invented Bitcoin. It was ultimately God's providence that saw fit for the world to ripen and mature to this point where this great gift of Bitcoin could come to the world. And so to God be the praise for that. And our part is simply to have faith like the centurion. And interestingly, that's another point I wanted to mention here is that because Bitcoin does not have physical value, it doesn't have any matter associated with it that can be put to some physical use. It's pure money in the sense that you really have to agree with the rest of society on the fact that it has value in order for it to be useful to society as a whole. And it's the same way that we do with every other kind of money. We agree as a society on the dollar bill, for example, that this piece of paper has value. And we say, well, okay, let's, let's make it official that this piece of paper is printed in a way that it can't be counterfeited and blah, blah, blah and that it's a f sanctioned by the government, and we trust the government, and this sort of thing, so that we can, with all of these assurances as a society, we can say, okay, yes, we will collectively agree that this is money, and uh, just by virtue of the fact that our neighbor accepts it <laughs> in exchange for goods and services, then, you know, we collectively just agree that the thing has value, even though the piece of paper itself really doesn't have value. So that's, you know, there's always faith involved in money. It's just a question of what you have faith in. And so the thing about Bitcoin in contrast to other types of money, particularly gold, for example, or silver, is that Bitcoin requires only faith. There's no material aspect that you can fall back on and say, well, okay, I trusted that this was going to be money, but, you know, nobody else is buying it from me. So at least I can just, at least I have a hunk of metal that I can do something with. Bitcoin isn't like that. It's pure faith. Okay. You have to have pure faith to believe that Bitcoin has value and that it is value to valuable to others in society. And that means, to a degree, you have to have faith not only in Bitcoin, but also in society. You have to have faith that there are other people in the world who see the same value in Bitcoin that you see, all right? And that's just a very interesting and fascinating topic, but uh, we covered that also, I think, in the last episode pretty extensively. But I wanted to emphasize here that it's this spiritual nature of the money, this the fact that it has no physical component, that's what makes it a money that requires pure faith. There's nothing you can fall back on and say, well, okay, you know, the monetary value went to zero, but at least I have something I can do something with. No, there's nothing. If, if Bitcoin goes to zero, you have nothing except bits on a ledger that probably doesn't exist anymore if nobody else cares, you know. And, and that's a scenario I don't believe will ever happen. Because as long as there's someone, as long as there's, as long as I believe I have a Bitcoin node and I have the ledger, okay, that faith, if you want, started with Satoshi Nakamoto, started on his computer with the first copy of the blockchain, with the first block. And then that faith spread 
to the first disciple, you know, and then together they did the first transaction and so forth, and, and it spread from there. But it has been a movement of faith all along. So Bitcoin is a faith. It's a movement of faith. And that's very much in tune with the principle of how Jesus came to this world and started a new faith. And as he did so, he showed us how the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the air, the kingdom of the spiritual world, the spiritual kingdom, is a, is a kingdom that has no physical component. It's a kingdom like Bitcoin. And that's not to say it excludes the physical. I, for one, believe that even in heaven, we will have physical bodies. But that's just like how here on earth, having Bitcoin does not mean that you yourself disappear, okay? You still use Bitcoin to buy things, to sustain your life, to clothe yourself and feed yourself and things like that. So it does not exclude physical things, but... The essence of Bitcoin as a monetary system is purely non-physical, just as faith is also purely non-physical. In the moment you have something physical that you can see, then faith is no longer faith. How does the Bible put it? For faith is the substance, it's the tangible, touchable thing, it's the substance of things hoped for. So now when you hope for something, you don't actually have it. So it's kind of a little bit of a figure of speech to say faith is the substance of things hoped for. Because things hoped for have no substance. They're just a hope. And that's what faith is. It's a substanceless thing. But it's the thing you hold on to. It's the it's what you consider substantial of your hopes. Okay? It's the tangible part. Of the, th of the hoped for things. All right, so faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things you cannot see. And again, that contradiction, things you cannot see have no evidence, okay? But faith, that's what faith is. It's the evidence that you can't see. As soon as you can see it, it's no longer faith because then it's actual evidence. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, okay? So, you know, in the financial sense, as soon as you purchase something with Bitcoin, you no longer have the Bitcoin. You have the thing. So as long as it's in the form of Bitcoin, it's in the form of faith. But once you convert that to something tangible, then it's substance and no longer faith. So if you want to live by faith, then live with Bitcoin. If you want to maximize your faith, maximize your Bitcoin. And if you want to minimize your dependence on the physical world, then you minimize the things you buy. And this is the natural economy of a Christian. It should be. Unfortunately, many who take the name of Christ don't live by those principles. But Bitcoin teaches those principles. And Christians should adopt Bitcoin and get back to those principles of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus himself lived that principle. And I want to show you that now in the coming verses. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, the scribe was probably wealthy. I mean, you know, he worked for the temple somewhere, somehow. And, you know, he was surely well cared for. And in his characteristic way, Jesus answered him impartially according to how he presented himself. And Jesus saith unto him in verse 20, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. 
but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And so Jesus told him, look, I don't even have a place to live. I don't even have a place to sleep at night. And you're going to follow me when you're used to having all of your financial needs, all of your physical needs met? That's all that's said about this scribe. And you can infer that he didn't end up following Jesus because he was so accustomed to being dependent on physical provisions. Whereas Jesus, by contrast, was accustomed to denying the flesh. He was accustomed to sacrificing material things for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Bitcoin teaches. Because if you value Bitcoin, you naturally will save on the physical things so that you can have more of the spiritual and less of the physical because you value that more. Okay, that's what Jesus taught in the very way he lived. He taught, he demonstrated a life of minimizing dependence on the physical things of this world. Okay, so verse 21, And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. So Jesus referred to people who were living but not following him, as being dead, okay? They didn't have life. Again, Jesus answers in a way that's fitting to the way that the person presented himself. Here, Jesus was the Lord of life, and this man was prioritizing the burial of his father, the caring for the dead, so to speak. And Jesus answers him exactly on that point, and he says, Look, which is more important, which is more valuable, the source of life or to give service to the dead? And Jesus calls the others who don't follow him, he calls them dead. Okay, he's the Lord of life. And those who didn't follow him, he calls dead. He says, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, let those who don't follow me take care of the dead people because they're effectively dead like them. So (laughs) hard words. But on the other hand, how do you think his words sounded to Jesus? That he wanted to prioritize his dead father over the Lord of life. Yeah, which is more offensive? Jesus answered him in perfect accordance with the way he presented. But it really emphasizes the point that, you know, it, it was to bring this disciple to the decision point of which way is he going to go? Is he going to follow the source of life? Or is he going to turn away and give his time and energy to the dead? And in a certain sort of way, this is the same decision we have in the financial world. Because when you work, you put your life into the things that you build or the things that you do as a service to the world. You put your life into it, and then you get the reward in the form of money. Now, what kind of money is like in these verses? Who do you follow? Are you going to put that reward into Bitcoin and hold it in the form of Bitcoin so that it can grow forever like eternal life? Or are you going to put it into fiat that's going to decompose and lose its value and turn into nothing over time? through inflation and whatever else. You see, how do you want your life to be valued? In following the Lord of life or in giving your energy to the dead? Deep things to think about and things that we're not couched in words that sound pleasant, 
in the way that Jesus answered this man. Okay, let's go on to verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Yeah, this is a fascinating story. And in particular, when we look at wind, waves, the sea roaring, the storms of the sky, it reminds us of the the financial climate that we are living in today. And that it's a stormy world out there. And like as some say, it's raining pretty hard. Um, because of all of the fiat money that's being printed, you know, the so-called helicopter money. So in a sort of object lesson, Jesus is showing us what it's like to live in the time of a storm. You know, while there's a financial storm going on, if you don't have physical products, if you don't have physical tangible possessions, you don't have much to lose, right? But what you should have, what the disciples lacked here, is faith. And we already talked about that in the financial sense, that to have faith in the financial context is to hold Bitcoin, which is a money of pure faith. Now, just to be fair, there are many other cryptocurrencies, which are also monies that have no physical value, and they are also monies of pure faith. But not all faith leads to salvation, only faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we look at why Bitcoin is the only money that's worth putting your faith in, so to speak, because it follows the principles of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It follows the principles that he taught and that he lived, as we've shown in this episode and in every episode, and which is the theme of the entire podcast. So, When the rain is coming and blowing from every different direction, you know, and there's every wind of coin out there that's, you know, pelting you with the reasons why you should pay attention to it. No, Jesus's example was just take it easy, take a nap, just waddle, hunker down and ride out the storm, you know, hold on to your Bitcoin, keep your faith. And anytime the storm threatens too hard, you know, Just trust in God and pray and the storm will obey. You know, if you have Bitcoin, you can do something with it. You can be creative. You can do something entrepreneurial and change the storm around you into more conducive conditions, just like Jesus did by rebuking the storm. If you have Bitcoin, you can do that if you have faith. Okay, moving on to verse 28. You know, I I started this study by just looking at verses that referred specifically to the kingdom of God. But it's so interesting to see how virtually everything in the Gospels, everything that Jesus did, can be seen in light of the things that we face today. And I think it's important that the biggest challenges of the world today that we're facing, which are primarily monetary as this, as the great kingdoms of, of, of our world today, the, the Roman empires of today are, uh, you know, crumbling 
And as the fiat storms are raging in the world, that is what we're facing. That is what we're living through. And should not the Bible in all aspects speak to that? Should it not give us hope and encouragement and guidance to navigate these kinds of storms? So we're kind of deviating a little bit from strictly examining the descriptions Jesus gave of the kingdom of heaven. But on the other hand, I think it's completely justified to try to apply everything that Jesus did and taught to the troubles that we're facing today. Isn't that what the Christian life is about? About taking the word of God and applying it to the daily life, to the things that we are facing in today's world? I think so. So I hope you appreciate that you value what I do in this podcast. So verse 28, and when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. All right. So again, we're in this situation we talked about earlier where we've got people with a bad spirit. Okay. Today we would just say, these are crazy people. Okay. They need to be on meds, you know. <laughs> but in those days, they, did, they said they had a bad spirit. They were possessed with devils. Okay. And behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, son of God? First of all, interesting, they recognized who he was, okay? How many fiat holders recognize Bitcoin as a threat to their existence? Yeah, many. And that's why Bitcoin has enemies, okay? Many enemies and powerful enemies, just as Jesus had enemies, okay? He had, there were people with a bad spirit that weren't interested in the success of the kingdom of God, okay? But these ones... They knew their place. They knew they were no match for Jesus. Verse 29, And behold, they cried out, saying, "Yeah, They said, Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? In other words, they knew that there was a judgment day awaiting them, but according to their understanding, it wasn't yet. You know, Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation about a thousand years, about the time of the dead, or as we noted above, the dead refers not necessarily to physical death, but to those outside the kingdom. And there is a time, a millennium, to judge those people. And at the end of that, the sentence is given, and the torment, so to speak, the punishment, is executed. And these evil spirits were wondering if they were going to receive their punishment before that time. Verse 30, And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and perished in the waters. It's interesting. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city, and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. So it's kind of interesting here that the evil spirits ended up perishing. Or, I mean, who knows what 
really happen to them because, you know, spirits don't actually die, right? Angels, evil angels don't actually die, right? At least not yet. But it's just interesting that in this story, they're like, oh no, don't torment us. But then they say, let's go to, into the swine. And then they go and lead the swine into the water. And then what happens to the evil spirits after that, you know? So it's kind of interesting. And for all practical purposes, they perished from this story. Now, if we look at what lessons we can draw from this to the situations that we face in the world today, you've got two men that were saved by Jesus, saved from these evil spirits, saved from this wrong mindset that they had. And that evil spirit, that wrong mindset, left them and went into the swine. Now, swine in the Bible is used to refer to unclean people, people that have no fear of God and who do not value purity. Because pigs are known to, you know, wallow in the mud and eat the garbage and stuff like that. And so they have this reputation of being unclean, not necessarily in their physical body, because farmers can often keep them very clean, but in their behaviors and in their inclinations, the swine are unclean. It's in their nature. It's in their character. And symbolically, that's why Christians don't eat pork, because it's unclean. But in its nature, you know, not to say the pig itself was contaminated with some unclean substance. That, that, that's not the point. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's a character thing. And of course, yeah, there are health aspects that testify as to why God designated them as unclean animals as well. So... But the swine can also represent unclean people. And so when a Bitcoiner, when, when, when a person is orange-pilled and he chooses Bitcoin, he chooses life, he chooses to follow the principles of the kingdom of Jesus, that evil spirit goes into others who are on the other side, a good way off. Those who promote fiat, instrument of wealth. And what happens ultimately to them? Well, they go off a steep cliff. You know, in the stock markets or in the, uh, you know, crypto markets, you know where the steep cliffs are, right? That's when, you know, the rug is pulled. That's when the coin goes to zero, okay? Goes to sea level. <laughs> and people sadly lose all their value. They lose all their life. They lose their life savings. And many, because of betting on these things, they actually go under. They don't just lose it. They go under. They don't just hit the sea level, but they go under the water and they perish. And that's a sad outcome for many. And that's why, as a general rule, I can only say invest in Bitcoin. And don't do it with leverage or something like that. Simply buy it with what you have. Don't go into debt. Yes, yeah, some people can manage debt because they have the resources and the ability to do that. Like the Michael Saylors and whoever else, you know, sometimes they use debt to their advantage because they can and they can do it in a way that doesn't put them in jeopardy the same way that it does for the average little guy, okay? But the poorer you are, the more important it is to stay out of debt. Stay above water, okay? Stay on solid ground, clothed and in a right mind like these two men who were healed. So it's interesting, you know, what happened as a result of this situation is that they ultimately petitioned Jesus to leave their coasts, to go out of their country. 
And, you know, how often has that happened with Bitcoin? How often have countries petitioned or mandated Bitcoin to leave their country? Like China, for example, banning Bitcoin on multiple occasions. Ultimately, Jesus left at their request, but the possessed man stayed in his own town and he ultimately spread the word of Jesus all around. And that's what has happened in places like China as well, is that Bitcoin doesn't ever die. It just, you know, I mean, individuals, it's it's an individual money and it just goes underground. And, you know, like this man who went back to his home and, you know, started sharing with his friends and families about the wonderful healing that God brought to his mind. And the next time Jesus came, he was welcomed in that city. And so banning Bitcoin, sending Bitcoin out of the country doesn't stop it. And so I think that's an interesting story to kind of look at in this light. I don't know. Is that fair? What do you think? This is, I think, the first episode where I've really kind of just taken unrelated subjects and tried to apply them to the financial situations that we face today. What do you think? Is that a legitimate approach to studying the Bible? Is it fair to take the experiences of Jesus and sort of draw lessons from them for our life that were not perhaps directly meant to be taken in the context of financial things or in the context of our particular experience, but that can be seen to fit? Is that a fair way to study the Word of God? And are these lessons helpful to us and to our daily life? We're up to, what, 18 episodes? I think this will be number 18. Still early and still very much in this phase of kind of testing the waters and seeing what do you think? You know, you shouldn't take my word for it. You should prove on your own and see if it's true. And I would like to participate with you in that and to hear your feedback. Is this helpful to look at the scriptures in this way? Is it appropriate? Is it is it something God encourages us to do? Let me know your thoughts. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I think we've offered a lot of food for thought in this episode. And so I just want to ask you to share this podcast if it has been a blessing to you. And just a reminder, you can find me on Noster at Bitcoin Sermons or just search for Bitcoin Sermons. And you can find me on Fountain or any other podcasting app or go directly to the host at bitcoinsermons.substack.com and you may write to me at bitcoinsermons at substack.com or via Noster. Your support in any form is appreciated. And I hope that this episode has been a blessing to you. And I encourage you to check out my other episodes in case there are topics that are of particular interest. And if you think this podcast has value, please consider supporting it in a meaningful way. God be with you. Have a blessed week. And I'll talk to you next time. <music>